Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yeah, it's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Be honest with you, I am high grade cricket. Hello and welcome to the Great Cricketer Podcast. On today's show, we wrap up the England summer with Crawley, Anderson, Ali and Catching Chat, trying to figure out what any of this means and if we feel safe yet. Australia are masked up and on the plane to England, but can Smith score runs when no one is booing him? Jacques Callis enters a Hall of Fame, so we'll find his place in the game, according to us, two idiots from the internet. Trent Bolt is on the show, Ryan Sidebottom is on the show, and hashtag RCDC comes from some very confused English men. This episode is brought to you by Budgie Smuggler, We can get your customised face mask at budgiesmuggleruk.com. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers who get exclusive content for $5 or $10 a month at patreon.com forward slash grade cricketer. You can find the show right now on YouTube as well as all the usual places. My name is Ian Higgins and I'm joined by Sam Perry. Or as I've started to call you, Pezzy Lad, Mm. uh, which is a thing that seems to have caught on for some reason. Pez, hello. Hello, Ian. What a smooth intro it is as well. I seem to say that every week. James Fenner writes in with the first question this week, Pez, the opening question as we like to start. He says, Sam, James Fenner writes in, he says, Sam, in light of the last England innings, could you explain the following comment? Zach Crawley looked ungainly to me. Explain yourself. Will do. Thank you, James, uh, for <laughs> the question. Do. Can I will? Uh, and following this comment from James that was addressed to Sam, yeah. um, I had to look up how to treat a vicious burn. Um, <laughs> which was in this case delivered by James. Okay. Um, so let's let's talk about Zach Crawley's 267. Yeah. So I've got some thoughts. Despite his unimpeachable innings of 267, yeah. my sex, my age, my nationality, my entire ethno-social makeup, which I don't have a choice in, actually obliges me against my will to double down on what I've said. Yeah. About him looking ungainly. So let's get a few things right first. Let's be right. 267 test runs to Zach Crawley. Absolutely sensational. High score by England, number three since the 1930s, I'm led to believe. Not bad. Imperious at the crease. You know, uh, NASA has saying, as he brought up his 200, said a little bit of a whippage. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, where yeah, we got yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, he actually played at my old club. I didn't play his club. He played at my old club, okay. Sydney Tigers, a few years back, average 65. Oh, right. Yeah. Hit 100 in T20 he scored, against... He scored great runs. First grade runs. Wow. So now you respect him. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Ton of 42 balls uh, in the T20s against Sutherland. Anyway. Good stick. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so from all reports, he's a great person, has always been destined for stardom. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, 
I'm sorry, but tall runs are weird runs. <laughs> yes. I defy anyone to challenge this, but if you're tall and your body hasn't fully filled out, as Zach's hasn't yet, then it's always going to retain a slight, you know, Bambi on ice quality. <laughs> uh, and I'm obliged to, re- you know, <laughs> remark on that. Look at Kev- Kevin Peter. People say, Kevin Peterson's tall. Did his runs look weird? No. And you know why? Because he's thick. Okay? Thickness is the only way to counter tall. Graham Cl- Smith. Clive Lloyd, yeah. tall but thick. Yeah. Graham Smith, tall but thick. Mm-hmm. Matthew Hayden, tall but thick. Thick as fuck, two C's on, on Hayden. So, uh, yeah, is this incredibly disrespectful to Zach Crawley's innings? Yes. Do I actually think these things about Zach? God, no. Um, but as mm. Blaise Pascal says, he goes, you know, and I think he was talking about cricket when he said this, right. the heart has its reasons, which reason does not know. Zach Crawley scored 267 excellent cricket runs, but until he gets thick, and he will, his tall <laughs> runs will remain weird runs. It's got to thicken out. It's got to get that whap. It's got to thicken up. I think um, with Crawley, 267, 22 years of age, and I'm like, hey, shit, this bloke. <laughs> you know, I, just, I don't want to peek behind the fourth wall on this. Like, it's, it's more of a commentary on, like, the great cricket overlay, isn't it? This, is our, this, this isn't his problem. It's not his problem. It's our problem. 267. Now, I didn't realise he'd scored first grade runs. I know, the way you're... Face lit up when I said he <laughs> like averaged Christmas 65 tree. in first Shit, grade. Well, 42 okay, rocks. Fuck, fuck I, I need to actually. Need well, to actually I, can... I changed my notes here. <laughs> I just, you know, whippage, as, it felt weird Hussein saying that as well. A bit like if Benno said that. He was giddy. It was number three's kind yeah. of, it was world he's touching dicks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's entitled to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like Crawley, excellent off the pads. He can't bowl mm. on his pads. He played some lovely mm. off drives. The sheer reach. But man. it's just, you know what it reminds me of? It just, it's just got Renshaw written all over it for me. Like Renshaw scored 140 against Pakistan mm. um, <laughs> at the SCG and we're thinking this guy's going to open the batting for the next 25 to 30 years, you know, because of, you know, Janine. You think he's got a big fall in him before he actually puts a certain shot away and then comes back? He's an... Zach Crawley's a 22-year-old number three English batsman who's just scored 267 in a test match, and I'm like, I'm not sure about this bloke. It just, it just seems to me just like I can, I can see Hazelwood getting him out ever, all the time. Yeah. I can just see it. Okay. And, like, as we've said before, that the only runs apparently, according to us, count are the runs that scored in Australia. Mm. But, like, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, it's interesting that the problem still isn't solved, for instance, mm. you know, and, and it's actually not dissimilar to Butler. But what if Ollie Pope scored? Like, I think it's a pure aesthetic thing. I think it's just he's he's tall and lanky and therefore we don't trust him. Ollie Pope's had a better summer, no doubt. So he hasn't scored any runs. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about that in my mind. I'm afraid of Ollie Pope that oh, summer. I'm terrified, It's just yeah. the symmetry of it. <laughs> it's just compact. Just be, just be tighter. It's the scouts in Moneyball, you know. Sure, the yeah, data yeah, doesn't yeah. back it up, yeah. but he just looks like he's got game. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Now, if Crawley had a... <laughs> Crawley, Crawley had a, literally it's 267. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like we can't get Travis Head to do that. No. You know I mean? But uh, still, Heady, I think he's got a uh, – yeah. Yeah. Do you remember Stuart Broad did 169 against Pakistan? I do. I'm hitting more of that stuff, eh? There's uh, heaps to talk about in the show because obviously that – now, as we're going to wear, the, sh- the test match is still going on. Yeah. It's still happening. Pakistan are two for 100 in their third innings. They're still a week and a half behind England's first inning score. Um, but, um, you know, we don't want to get the people waiting. Mm. Also, we get to speak to Trent Bolt mm. uh, later. So, um, so that, that's that's the state of the play. Now, before we get into that, we're, we're going to wrap up uh, the summer. But uh, a quick little shout out because it's an exciting week for our patron subscribers. Just want to talk quickly about Patreon. I'm not going to hammer you with quick. this all the time. I'll make it quick, right. right? But 
Through the last week, we've had another instalment of Ask TGC Fridays on our Patreon page. It has 40 minutes of elaborate responses to questions about wooing prospective girlfriends with Sean Massoud, yep. Canadian women hitting a clean ball, yep. managing bipolar disorder and hypermania, and the No Women 11. Now, that doesn't make sense. You're going to have to maybe listen. quite a bit of troubling stuff. Oh, it's a really troubling stuff, and we can kind of get a bit elaborate on that as well. Mm. Um, there's a 1,400-word essay up there now about the angst and politics of driving home from cricket. Mm-hmm. And then this week, as a massive bonus, letting you guys know um, when this goes to where, when you hear this, um, there will be a bonus 25-minute interview that we did with Adam Zampa recently, the king of rare blokes, mm-hmm. the king of kings. Um, mm-hmm. We'd had a few glasses of red. This, this was recorded a little while ago, mm-hmm. um, not too long ago. It was on we, your birthday. It was on my birthday. Yeah. It was late. We got and, pretty pissed. And, yeah, and, that's, and that's, that's how I celebrate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he, he actually called – like he said he wants to come – he heard the Monty interview and he said, get me on. That's right. Because he wanted a writer's reply. Yeah. Uh, and see, he, we, we talked also about him returning to New South Wales, how they just win shit, um, his negotiations over which club he's going to play at, how he negotiates with great cricket clubs mm-hmm. when he doesn't want to play at all, mm-hmm. uh, growing hemp. Yep. And what he does with that. And, yeah, his reply to Monty. So if you – look, and don't get us wrong. Like we're not putting the best stuff behind the paywall. We're going to talk to Adam on the show mm. very soon. That's mm. lined up. That's all good to go. Uh, but it's just this. Uh, it was a very, um, it was very, it was a very loose chat. I think it was it was a very rare chat. So if you want a couple of blokes, a bit of red, uh, and Adam Zampa being as rare as possible, going big with every answer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, patreoncom slash cricketer. We're going to be throwing up these interviews on occasion. So if you just if you can't get enough, you want to be gluttonous for that stuff. Well, mm. Zampa's there for you as mm. this goes to where. It's the end of the summer now. James Anderson hasn't taken six hundred Test wickets yet, but he's about to, mm. and he probably he would have done already had England yeah. be able to catch. Which yep. is an interesting one because um, I was thinking about this because Ben Stokes is just an absolute worldie. Talk about yeah. worldies touching dicks before, and we yeah. don't talk about that often. But like Ben Stokes, is, he, he's not a great – is that off-air stuff, is it? Yeah, I get confused with the things we talk about. But Ben Stokes is um, <clears throat> he's not a great slipper. drops a lot of catches. And then I was thinking mm. like now England slip court at the moment is Rory Burns. Um, they've got Dom Sibley in there. Right. Root, and there's just like there's heaps of spillage, lots mm. of spillage. And then Josh Butler's got his own thing going on, dropping, he's just shelling catches left, right, center. Took a couple of good catches in the first innings, don't get me wrong, but mm. it, like you know, Ben Folk scored 100. Um, you know, he's he's went in the wings as well as a gloveman. Um, so it's it's weird, it's weird the catching stuff, anyway. Mm. Had England been able to catch, they would have um, they would have seen Anderson take 600 test match wickets, and he's right on the verge, and so he'll be the first seamer to ever do that. Now, where does it put Anderson in the pantheon of greats? I suppose is what I'm trying to ask first up. Oh. I think he's. I think he's. Is he he's the greatest right seamer of all there. time? No, he's not the greatest seamer of all time. Glad That's fine. That. Glad um, that. And he, he doesn't need to be. He's. He could be the greatest swing bowler of all time. Oh, I'd say that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm glad we agree. Yeah. Uh, and just and one of the great mm. bowlers in England of all time. I don't mm-hmm. mean to, to take away from what he's done overseas as well. 600 Test wickets to his name, mm-hmm. proven himself. Mm. Also, I just want to talk more about one of the greatest. Sneers and faces that he can pull off when someone does drop a catch off his bowling. So let's talk about this, mate. <laughs> let's talk about this more. I mean, yeah. a lot of people are going to talk about Anderson. There's so mm. much stuff as they should. Mm. You know, great bowler, but like, especially as he gets into, it just gets a little bit more senior. There might have been some Botox there. That's just that's not even alleged. I'm just looking. at His face looks so clean. Uh, when someone so it's not alleged, but you put it out there. Well, not alleged by somebody else. It's alleged by me. Okay, got uh, it. But um, mm. and players are doing that these days, as the Aussies have told us. Yeah, yeah. well, the Australian players are. Australian. I'd be surprised if Colin DeGronholm's doing that. Good point. Well, last trend. Well, last trend about that. Uh, anyway, 
just the face that he's able to pull when someone drops a catch is perfect. Like he really scrunches the face up. He really narrows the eyes and he mm. like does that. Uh, he never gives you the full body. He does the half turn of the body and only gives you the minimum amount of face because mm. he doesn't want to actually dignify you with the rest of his body. It's like yeah. Justin Langer like, in press, press conferences. conferences yeah, yeah, when he's angry at someone, yeah, right. he doesn't turn his full body towards yeah. them. He just looks at them. It's the most disrespectful his, thing you can do. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I'm, you're not even entitled to my entire body yeah. in this body language uh, exchange. <laughs> you're not entitled to my entire <laughs> body yet. Yeah. So in this, in this moment that we're talking about, so, so the three drop catches in space are, I think, about 10 balls. Mm. And then the next day's play, Josh Butler drops a catch and makes it four of about 27 balls. And the, and the amount of balls is very important, apparently. Of course. But, like, so then the catch to – so who was batting? It was Muhammad Abbas hits the easiest catch you've ever seen. Yeah. And we spoke about Muhammad Abbas's athletic ability last week. Yes. Um, this has actually convinced me even more that he is actually the most uncoordinated professional athlete I've ever seen. Yeah. Nevertheless, he spoons a catch to Stuart Broad at mid-on, probably the easiest test match catch ever. Stuart Broad barely gets a hand on it. It, it, it like uh, saves three in the end. He gets like he gets the the actual lining up of his hands wrong and the depth perception wrong. Like it actually cannons yeah. into his wrist. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and then the you ball see the goes, face go. The, then you see the face go. Then the ball goes behind Stuart Broad, yeah. and then he just like turns around and just. You, I mean, the life was the air was sucked out of that oh, stadium. Not yeah. even the room. The stadium was really good. <laughs> just sucking it up, and yep. then the ball goes behind him. Then what happens, Pez? Well, he. And we've all been here. You drop a catch mm. and in the white fury that you yeah. feel at the time, yeah. you kind of um, like a, sort of in the absence of any thought. The mist like, descends. Yeah. Hurl the ball yeah. in the general direction yeah. of where it should go. Now, yeah. he does this knowing, look, there's probably three slips there. Mm. So it's all going to be backed up. It'll be cleaned up. But I'm just going to peg the ball because I am angry and also want to show people yeah. how angry I am because my yeah. standards are high. All yeah. cricketers if people think that I'm angry, then I'll be like, oh, he, he's doing Exactly. So you play a bad shot in the nets or whatever. It's like, oh, fuck. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, his standards must be high. <laughs> Actually, he's <laughs> played a shot all the time, you know. But he was angry because he's a test cricketer and a very good one at that. Yeah. And it turns out he actually hurls the ball uh, and it takes out the stumps and runs out a bass. Now, let's forget by, about- By, by, by meters. Like, meters. Let's yeah. forget about the run out. I want to talk about how- like, why is it that our best throws are always after we drop a catch? <laughs> like, why is that? You always end up smacking the keeper in the chest or whatever or, like, throwing at the greatest velocity yeah. uh, possible. But uh, When you throw it to the keeper when you're angry, then the keeper, like, takes it, like, with real foot. And, like, exactly, oh, yeah. horror, and no one's just going to throw because yeah. everyone's upset. But, like, something yeah. about that, the fury, like, clears our mind and permits that sort of detached clarity that you need to execute at the elite level. And that's yeah. what Broad's done. He's one of those lucky guys, you know, that you drop a catch or whatever – and whether like, you've dropped the catch and the guy gets out a couple of balls later and you're like, oh, you're lucky, everyone's made again or yeah, whatever. Yeah, or it's yeah, just yeah. like, how, how good do you have to be mm. to just drop a catch and just run a block out straight after that? <laughs> and, he's, you know, he's competing with Anderson for a spot now. Probably. Like a brilliant play from Broad. It caps yeah. off actually a perfect summer. <laughs> <laughs> the throw, though, was like the parabolic arc on it. Mm. I mean, this highlights for me the Abbas factor yeah, of yeah. life. I mean, Abbas was, I mean, the turning circle of the man is like the QE2, honestly. It's the slowest thing I've ever seen. It's incredible. More of that stuff. Anyway, that, that would have been – Anderson did actually take the last week of the innings. Now he's got 29 five-wicket hauls. Not bad. Now that equals that equals McGrath's record and the most ever in history, 29. Yeah. So Anderson's probably going to go past that at some point if he plays more games, especially in England. Yeah. They go to Sri Lanka next to England for, the, for a test series and then they go to India after that, then obviously Australia next year. So maybe – it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting what happens with, with Anderson because <clears throat> there's no question he's like the, one of the greatest players of all time, mm. Not, you know, but – I still maintain that, like, as we said a couple of weeks ago, what's what's the point of Anderson away? What's the point of Anderson, especially in Australia, where he's played? He's been on four different Ashes tours. Yeah. He's won three games out of 20. Yeah. It's 
It's a total catch-22. Like, yeah. you can talk about individual greatness. He's taken a lot of wickets and so has Broad. But the catch-22 is that the more they invest in those guys, the you know, the more they divest from the guys who can do it overseas. Yeah. And so you can have individual greatness, but is Anderson and Broad conducive to team greatness, which is usually defined by winning away exactly. against Australia and <clears throat> India? It's I don't know the answer to the question because by the same token, you know, you're playing at home summer, you get your two best bowlers who are greats and you get them to take – a load of poles. Like, that's just cricket. Now, this is an interesting one as well when you say that because, like, and we'll come to Jack Scullis later, but I've got an interesting theory on that. Like, his, where, he, where, is, where is Jack Scullis' place is in the history of cricket because he hasn't, he hasn't won a lot. He hasn't won a lot. Anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll come on to that. Anyway, the point is about the English summer. Now, what's the story of this English yeah. summer? This is the end of the summer. This is the last test match for the summer. Now, Australia about to go and play three ODIs and three t, uh, yeah. T20s um, to save England summer, apparently, mm. whatever that means. And... Um, What's the story? What's the story? Well, I, I like how I like it, the question because there always needs, it needs to be a story, doesn't there? Like it's not permitted to simply be a summer I need where cricket was played. England won. Some guys did well at various points. Like mm. there's seven story archetypes, so we must crowbar. You it's, know what we saw into it. It's so a meaning. Pest. Well, it's like you know. Overcoming the monster is one of the. There's only seven stories that exist in the world. You understand that, don't you? And anything that, that exists, there's only seven. We have to explain yeah. yourself now. Overcoming the monster. So I think that would have been developing a biosecure. That's bubble. different to the monsters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but you've thrown me developing the biosecure bubble to defeat coronavirus. So you know, commercially speaking, that, okay. that's the monster they overcame. Okay. Rags to riches is another story of the seven. There's only seven. Mm-hmm. Dom Sibley and Zach Crawley scoring boring and ungainly runs, respectively, but mm-hmm. scoring runs. The quest, so from for, for Joe Root to become a big boy, and he hasn't done that. He has not done that. Uh, the voyage and return is another story archetype. So Archer leaving the bubble, voyage, and then return <laughs> to get one. Just going to go see it, mate. Um, comedy, I'll probably put Archer into that as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, tragedy, the catch-22 of Anderson and Broad propelling England at home and thus hampering them away. Yeah. And then rebirth. I don't know if a rebirth, you know, who's had a rebirth? You could say Joss Butler's had Joss a bit Butler. of a rebirth. You know, yeah. runs, got runs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could say, uh, you know, Azarali getting his front pad out of the way, scoring runs. Joe Root had a birth. He, Joe Root, there you go. And but but ultimately, with any story, there's the seven archetypes. But you've got to have a meta plot. What's the meta plot? And this is where England's struggling. I think you know, like because it's unclear. Like, is the hero Root? <laughs> what the fuck is, is the hero? That? Well, is, is the hero Root? <laughs> and is their end game Australia, or is the yeah. hero of England's meta plot the departing um, administrator Colin Graves and the end game the hundred? I don't know how to answer that. Well, Maybe. I'm just throwing some Maybe. things into the mix, some irons into the fire, okay. if you will. Okay, well, I suppose you've listed some, some, some. You've listed all the KPIs there of the mm. summer. What uh, yeah, th- th- things that have happened? So what, what's does any stick out to you there? What's the main, what's the main one? The yeah. main, I think, a big one that has gone unnoticed is that like the West Indies literally sacrificed <laughs> their yeah. livelihoods and their lives and fifty percent of their income to play Test match cricket, so to keep everyone around going. the world could like just watch some stuff while they yeah. were in between, you know, like it, you know, jerking off on the internet, or whatever. Mm. So. That was overcome. <laughs> that was so, overcoming the monster. I think from so. that archetype. Yeah, the, the monster being coronavirus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was that. Is I feel like it's broads. Broads the the central theme. He's the catalyst for change in this yeah. in this summer. Although yeah. ironically, the change has been nothing. It's been about broad. I Who, think. Who's won? Who's won the games for England this summer? It's yeah. been. Broad it's been the legs pumping. It's yeah. been pump man. It's yeah. been getting dropped, getting so angry that you're in convulsions, like he was shaking, yeah. and then coming back to bowl 
to take wickets at 10 runs apiece and also dropping catches off his main competitor and then running the bloke out. <laughs> it's very Like, that's a very – yeah, it is. Yeah. It's brilliant. Suppress, suppress your, yeah. your, your competitors, yeah. Uh, I'd say, you know, Josh Butler's turnaround with the bat, okay. You know, yeah. he needed runs. It's, it's a – you know, it's a cash-in summer. So I find what's interesting about England is they've got a very young and exciting team, you know, potentially. They've got, like, young Ollie Pope, you yeah. know, a new opening batting so Pope for symmetry. You know, Zach Crawley's just scored some runs or whatever. Mm. Um, but, like, fundamentally, the, who's won the games for them this year? Now, Zach Crawley's probably just, you know, he sees 267, has a huge impact Match on winning this game, yeah. of course. But Anderson then takes five wickets, you know. Don Bess hasn't put his name in lights. You know, Joffre Archer hasn't taken many wickets. Mark mm. Wood hasn't, hasn't come in and played very mm. often. Jack Leach hasn't even played. So the wickets have still come from Broad and Anderson. Chris Wokes has done very well, but Chris Wokes is in a similar bracket of, like, the he's the, you know, if Chris Wokes is leading the attack without Anderson Broad, where does he fit in? You know, does mm. does he perform as well? It's a very interesting one where like they they I, I feel like England are quite close to being a very mm. good team, but they're they're missing some some quite big elements mm. and their mainstays are still performing like outperforming anyone by far. Mm. Like they're they're winning games because of Broad and Anderson mm. still. Have they developed enough, England? I mean, I think Ollie Pope's come on. I think you can say it now, say Jack Pope. But has Jack, Ollie Pope Jack, done Zach Crawley's that, come that well? This, yeah, well, for reasons we say, he looks symmetrical. Okay, so looks good. Yeah. Okay. He, he's a, uh, you know, he belongs because he looks good. It's unfair. It's not backed up by data. Mm-hmm. And I'm not Gangoli. referring to Sarah Ganguly. <laughs> that word's ruined now. That's so ruined. many other ru- words ruined through cricket. Okay, now so, just, yeah. just quickly, Pete, yeah, before yeah. we call Trent Bolt yeah. in a couple of minutes' time, but, um, but we... Uh, we being the Australian cricket team are heading yes. over there now on the plane over are, there. Yeah. I mean, is there anything to look forward to here? You know, Smith's being like, oh, it's going to be a shame without the crowds. They're booing me. I won't be able to score any runs, blah, 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 blah. I mean, is, is there – it's actually an interesting one because the Australian cricket team, the T20 team, now they're supposed to be favourites going into the World Cup, which yeah. is supposed to be played just now. Uh, obviously been postponed because of the IPL. But – and it hasn't been coronavirus. It's been postponed because of the IPL. Yes. So, like, Australia should be performing well in England. This, 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 this is a team that is prime. They should be winning these games. And then the ODI setup is – well, England are world champs, obviously. Mm. It, it actually should be a very entertaining six-game series mm. split into two different series. I feel like England have the edge over Australia in short-form cricket in England. You I know, agree, they probably yeah. would be. I, uh, I think that from an Australian perspective, there was two things I'm looking forward to. First one, I think I'm going to be disappointed is that, like, you see the English guys have got some fantastic salads because they can't cut their hair. Yeah. You know, they can do really well, a lot of the preppy guys. And I, said, oh, I forgot to mention this. We'll do this next week, but an article from Shield Berry in the Telegraph saying that England might be struggling because nine out of the 11 players are from private schools. That's just a whole – that's a whole oh, – that's, 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 that's the whole thing next week. Yeah, I know. I forgot to put it, uh, raise it. But um, yeah. we haven't got time now. But uh, – so they can do the private school hair stuff. Can Australia? So Cummins has grown his hair. Looks good. So mm. what's, what can Australia do in salads? But I think they, I think they've been able to cut their hair. So that's ruled out. The other one is like you know Australia have taken along some you know young raw talent for us to yeah. project our raw. fantasies onto. Yeah, fresh meat. <laughs> project our fantasies onto. Yeah, <laughs> Josh good. Philippe. Yeah. Uh, Riley Meredith, you know, yeah. two aggressive guys, yeah. one with the bat, one with the yeah. ball. Blonde, blue eyes. Bo- blonde, blue eyes in the Australian mould, you mm. know, attacking, mm. uh, aggressive, fast, mm. dominant. Mm. Um, Daniel Sams as well, who, who, can, who can do everything. A little it's bit all older. very home and away, isn't it? Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. You took the words right out of Sorry. my mouth. Really home and away. Yeah. Uh, so I think yeah. that's, that's, you know, if those guys get a game, that'd be good. And other than that... Yeah. I think you know we're all just go around and give it a bash. Go around and give it a bash. Have a look. Forget about it. Right, Jacques Callas is into the Hall of Fame. Yep. Uh, along with uh, Zahir Abbas and Lisa Stalaker, the three who went to the ICC Hall of Fame this week. Now, Jacques Callas, thirteen thousand Test match runs, third of all time, third most runs of all time. What He's got yeah, that's he scored those at fifty five. 
pretty good, Pez. Pretty good. He also took 292 wickets at 32. Yeah. So he's one of the all-time greatest wicket takers and he's the third highest run scorer of all time. And what about just standing at first grip? Yeah, too? five massive catches. mitts. Yeah, now talk about thick through the chest. Oh. So you talk about Does it thick get through thicker? The, I don't know if it gets thicker, mate. Does it get thicker it's in cricket? Be- I'm being serious now. Yeah, I know you're but being before serious. Before any anything else I've said this segment, does yeah. it get thicker than Jux Mallis? You talk about having a bri. What about? Oh, I mean, he's up there with Hayden in terms of Hayden, thickness. He could have Hayden covered for thickness. Hayden had width. I mean, when I talk about thickness, it's a holistic approach. Yeah, it's so, not just body. So because so, Callis is depth. Whereas Hayden had width. And and yes, you agree, it's, this goes beyond body, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think Callis, he averages five more than Hayden with the bat, and then he Ooh. still takes 292 poles. Mm. And he probably has a better quip from the slips than Hayden does. You know, when I come out to bat, mm. I'd sooner listen to something from Hayden, which would be probably dross with respect to Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. Than something, anything out of Jacques Callis's mouth, because you'd imagine it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be coming very often, but when it did come, it'd cripple you. Because statistically, Jacques Callis is the greatest cricketer of all time in terms of things that he has done. But why, but why isn't he referred to in the same mould as like a, a Warren? I think it's because of the manner with which he scored his runs, but mainly because his average is 32 with the ball. I reckon if that's down at like 25 or something, you're like, oh, what an amazing score. But 25 is like, I mean, how many players have done that in the history of the game? Like six. That's, you know, it's a tough tough school. We're talking about being the greatest. Yeah, I agree. Okay, yeah, fair. But I reckon this part of it is because, like, Cal's never won anything. He wasn't part of a team that won the World Cup. Didn't they? Oh, not the World Cup, sorry. But, like, were they not number one at any point? Well, I I, I think it is hard if you're outside India, England, and Australia, where, like, they don't play as big a series. Also, South Africa seemed to lose at home a lot. Mm. It's surprising how many times people go over there and they win, which is interesting. But, yeah, mm. that's, that's kind of why I feel like Jacques Carlos's career. So, uh, I, don't think there's any, I don't think there's any blood on it. I think so it's just fucking like, incredible. So, so Kane Williamson's runs, for instance, yeah. are a little bit – like if he's playing in the National Series, for instance, they, like that, those – New Zealand don't play in the massive series. South Africa okay. don't play in the massive series. You know? And so Jacques Carlos had the World Cup and they never won the World Cup. Therefore, mm. it's just a little bit of a – it's a little bit of a you – know, same as morally, although he did chuck it. Yeah, I mean, that's just Australian myopia, really, isn't 100% it? 100% of it. 100% yeah. myopia. Yeah. If we didn't see all of it, then it didn't yeah. exist. Okay. You know, exactly. I think it's an amazing record. And he's a guy that, like, in that amazing Australian side, he would have been in that side. He would have been picked. Yeah, but he didn't play great cricket, so they're kind of yeah, like, what's did, the What great club did he play for? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he didn't come out here, did he? Yeah, pff, would have played two, okay. so I reckon. Yeah. Hey, Pez, we've got to call Trent Bolt now. We do. All right, let's speak to him. Is very good. The swing works. The Oracle again. Quite brilliant from Simon Jones. What a great piece of reverse swing. He got six for 53 in the first innings. And he did it with reverse swing. Getting it to go both ways. This one has come back sharply. Well outside of some there. But not there. That's some piece of bowling. I can okay, he goes, uh, we were just talking earlier about Australian myopia and, you know, we don't really recognise anybody unless they're from our country. Um, take, <laughs> how's, this, how's this for a record? 67 tests for his country, 267 wickets at 27 apiece, a best of 10 for 80, eight fifers, uh, 164 wickets in 90 fixtures in ODI cricket, a best of 7 for 34, all those wickets at 25 runs apiece, the number one ODI bowler in the world currently, 383 first-class wickets at 26. I'm talking about Trent Bolt. Trent, welcome to the great cricketer. 
Thanks, guys. How are you? Very well, thanks. Firstly, thanks for all the likes on Instagram as well, man. It makes us feel really good. <laughs> yeah, blue tick, <laughs> blue tick. Uh, let's kick off, Trent, like with club cricket in New Zealand. Uh, again, you know, Australians, we don't recognise anything unless it happens here. We were just talking earlier about Zach Crawley putting question marks over his 267 <laughs> until we realised he played first grade cricket in Sydney. We thought, that's oh, right. okay, that's worthy oh, of respect. He's a good player then, yeah. You run us through club cricket in New Zealand, you know, like is it the same as Australia but with significantly better blokes? Oh, it's nowhere near as strong as your amazing competition over there, that's for sure. Um, yeah, club cricket's very amateur over here. Um, played on quite small grounds, um, not village grounds like in England, I don't think, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely where it all starts. Uh, obviously, our, our number one passion in, in New Zealand in terms of sport is, is rugby, and every kid and every kind of sporting kind of ambitious person wants to become an all-black, I suppose, but um the left to kind of off-cut and, and play a bit of club cricket and then move up the ranks kind of like I did. So, um, yeah, it's, it's strong in some parts of the country and, and obviously weaker in some parts as well. be interesting to know what the place, Trent, of, of cricket is in New Zealand. Because remember we talked to uh, Niche, my close personal friend, yeah, Jimmy Nation. Niche, yeah, yeah and, um, and he was sort of saying, like, it's, it's interesting because, you know, when you look at the Australian guys where they're sort of celebrities and obviously India have taken that to a new level as well. But, like, what's the place of cricket in New Zealand? And you said it there. I just presume that everyone's sort of a failed rugby player in the same way that the Victorian cricket team is all failed AFL players. Yeah, that's probably a way to look at it. I think uh, definitely not many of us in the uh, national black cap side relate to ourselves as celebrities or anything like that. Um, yeah, we've got more sheep than people in New Zealand, so uh, there's five million people, and um, yeah, I can probably guarantee you that almost 98% of those people don't care who plays what or who does whatever, so yeah, yeah we just fly under the radar, really. Mm. Trent, I, I want to um, ask you about when you came into Test Cricket, just some stuff I was reading last night. You were 22 when you were selected for your debut, uh, which happened to be away against Australia. Uh, this is in 2012. So according to the veritable Indian digital publication, Cricket Times, um, you literally had braces on your teeth and needed to go to an orthodontist to get them removed, mm. saying, I can't go to Australia with a set of braces on my teeth. Um, <laughs> you then get them removed, but it doesn't stop Brad Haddon from sledging you anyway. So I just want to ask, like, having now played against like the you know the Australia of the Lehman Clark Haddon axis, as a youngster and now against the current enlightened post-culture review Aussies, you know, have you noticed a difference in the way they carry on or is it just better PR from the current Aussie side? Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm not too sure. I can I can tell you firsthand that they've always been competitive to play against. Um, they love a bit of intimidation. They like uh, pumping their, their big chest out and, and going about the way they've done it for many years, I think. But, um, yeah, in my opinion, it's one of my, my favourite matchups. Um, you know, I've grown up watching BB series and, um, the Chapel Hadley series and all these kind of things. So that kind of inspired me to get out there like Shane Bonded and Chris Kins, et cetera. Um, and yeah, I've always seen it as a massive rivalry, but um, yeah, speaking on that debut, I was yeah, 20, 21 or so. Um, yep. I had been caught up in a bit of a mix up in a, in a pub actually. That's how I got the braces in the first place. Um, a mix I wasn't a mix doing, yeah. I wasn't doing the fighting, but I was, I was near the fight and, Unfortunately, got in the got in the way, and um, yeah, I won't bore you with that. But uh, had the break, and then got the call up. <laughs> got the call up about uh, ten or so months later, and I thought, man, there's no chance I'm going over to Aussie with Pontine and Clark and Haddon and etc. Come, you know, steaming in and. In the slipboard and seeing that I've got braces on my face. So when I did walk out the bat, actually, he had him said to me, he goes, oh, my God, how old are you? Um, does, does your mother know where you are, kind of <laughs> oh, thing. And that's, 
that's probably my first memory of it, to be honest. <laughs> I can't believe that Trent Bolt's throwing hands in a bar fight. I can't. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. this. You know, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't need to. Uh, didn't need a fight. To. Okay. John, I want to know. Um, you seem like one of these guys. Uh, you know, like just sports in the family. Because obviously, mm. um, your brother John, I played first class cricket as well. Whereas you've obviously done. Well, he's your older brother as well, and you've played sixty-seven tests. So, I mean, how often do you even let him speak at Christmas? <laughs> Yeah, he um, he still claims himself as a better bolt uh, in the family. So yeah, <laughs> I think just like you know a lot of Australian kids and a lot of kids around the world, the, the older brother rivalry kind of thing in the backyard. Mm. And yeah, he's uh, what is he he's about thirty four maybe. Um, he's an opening bat and tried to bowl a bit of nude right arm off spin, which kind of got better as he went got on. And um, yeah, I was just handed the tennis ball in the backyard to, to help him practice really. So. Um, yeah, from there I've just kind of grown up and, and obviously love my bowling and I've been lucky to get some pretty cool opportunities. Yeah. I want to keep digging into this, Trent, like you yeah, The bar like, fight? Like, no, not the – well, the bar fight's interesting in that context, <laughs> but like, you know, just how I'm involved in a mix-up. Like, like sometimes I heard these interviews, like we, we sort of try to go beyond the quick info pieces and the newspaper profiles and stuff. And you, you, you can dig into like uh, the soul of a person through their social media, you know, and like, okay. like in between the sponsor posts and action shots mm. that accentuate the rig, you know, like might be a comment from a mate that shines a bit of light on the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I jump onto your Instagram, Trent. Like it's the, it's the most beautiful, clean, wholesome portfolio of media I've ever seen in my life. Like this Guggenheim <laughs> stuff. Like you got your golden retriever, Louie, your beautiful wife, Gerd, like shots from winning dressing rooms, famous grounds, surfing, big fish, charitable causes, your skin looks fresh, <laughs> all the Kiwi boys <laughs> look incredible. Like why are you, all, oh, you guys all such good people? Like do you have skeletons? Skeletons, or, or do I just feel this way because Aussies yeah. are grubby like, yeah. in comparison? What are the secrets? I don't know. I don't follow too many Aussies on um, Instagram, so I can kind of give you uh, kind of any uh, comparison. I know Stornis is a bit of a hard case on, on the old Instagram, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty clean. I don't think I've got too many um, skeletons rocking around, but uh, hey, I'm open to any suggestions of footage you guys want to see or if you want to see a bit more of this or a le- little le- le- less of that, then uh, you guys, yeah, help me out. Well, that's funny because I actually found a police report. Trump, <laughs> 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 no, I want to ask you, obviously, um, the the series in the UK happening at the moment um, between England and Pakistan, obviously Stuart Broad and, and Jimmy Anderson doing wonderful things over there, statistically the greatest opening partnership of all time. You and Tim Stout, you've got your own thing going on there across the ditch, you know, most you, you, your third and fourth leading wicket-takers in the history of New Zealand cricket. I mean, you must have – first of all, you must have ambitions to overtake Sir Richard and Sir Daniel Vittori as well. Um, uh, but also, like, when you, when, you see, when you see Broad and Anderson, like, what do you guys see um, in, in, like, how they bowl, how they go about it, why they take so many wickets? Is it, is it, a, is it a conditions thing or is it, is it something more than that? Oh, hey, I think they've, um, their numbers speak for themselves, undoubtedly. But, um, you know, they're very experienced at what they do. Uh, definitely, they, they love to bowl that juke over in those conditions that they know very, very well. But, um, you know, Anderson, what is he sitting on now? 599, his wickets, it's just phenomenal stuff. But, um, yeah, I think um, they play a lot of test cricket. There's no doubt about that. Uh, what have I played? 67 tests. And me and Tim kind of had a bit of a yarn. And, you know, if you play 100 tests for your country, obviously a bowler as well, it's a, a huge achievement. And I think we worked it out to be if we got to 2028, we'd get to 97 tests. Um, and I don't think I'll be playing test cricket for another eight years. Um, but yeah, we, there's been times when we would play kind of three or four tests a year kind of thing. So um, yeah. I think the test championships are pretty cool kind of concept. Uh, and obviously it's been kind of hard to follow a little bit with COVID and, and whatever else going on. But um, in my opinion, I'll get very serious with you. I'll, I I would suggest that it would be great if, this, if it was the same ball used to, 
you know, the whole tournament, the whole kind of fixture. Mm. Um, because once again, if we, we got to that lucky stage and, and had to play in a final in, in Test cricket, um, at, at Lords, we, we would have gone two and a half years without even using a Duke. So I think the ball's got uh, a lot to do with it, definitely. Mm. And um, it'd be great to see that ball kind of used and, and trolled, I suppose, around the world. I know you guys have played around a bit of Nozzy, but um, mm. yeah, the, the balls aren't doing as much anymore and uh, they're definitely not doing as much as what they have done in New Zealand as well I think everyone has that kind of uh, concept or that kind of um, image of New Zealand being you know bowler green friendly um, facilities and stuff but uh, she's definitely changing lately mm. let's move from the red ball to the white ball quickly Trent I mean I don't even want to ask this question because I'm still upset about the World Cup last year not even from New Zealand but like people would sort of kill us if we didn't ask a question like we, we spoke to Ricky Ponting last week about the 05 Ashes and he said Despite the loss, it was the best series he's played in. I suppose my question to you is, you know, are you as gracious about the World Cup final or will you need to retire before you can say things like that? Yeah, um, I think it still definitely hurts. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, it's hard not to kind of think about it and reflect on it probably daily at some times. Um, yeah, uh, I've been very lucky to be enough, uh, to be involved in two finals. Um, probably, uh, I can't say which one I enjoyed more, but, you know, looking at 2015 when we went over to Aussie um, and we got absolutely pumped, it was it was definitely easier to swallow and kind of accept we were outplayed. And, um, you know, there's no arguments, but uh, to come so close in every mm. kind of aspect of that game and, you know, draw the game, draw the super over and et cetera, et cetera. Like, I've kind of just hoped that folks sort of pumped that last ball to the ground, you know, 50 rows back kind of thing, so I can say, yep, that's done, we weren't good enough. But, um, yeah, she's still, still a hard one to think and, and talk about, but... Um, Oh, I'm definitely very, very um, gracious for the um, for the opportunity, and it's, it's been a big dream to be on that stage. So, no, I loved it. Because mm. also in the World Cup last year, when you played against Australia, you actually took a hat trick <laughs> in a losing side. So, I want to know how much you're still celebrating that achievement and how satisfying it was to go into the dressing room knowing that your teammates let you let, uh, let you down. Um, yeah, the hat trick oh, at Lords, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah the hat trick yeah, at Lords yeah. against Australia. Yeah. 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 In a losing yeah, side. Yeah, they're last over their game. Yeah, I'm not claiming it too much, to be honest. Um, I yeah. thought, I, yeah, obviously, I remember Lyon came out and tried to do the old fancy lap chop, so I'm more disappointed I missed that opportunity. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there were some great moments, per, uh, personally, um, and obviously from the team point of view as well, um, throughout that whole campaign, it was it was good time. Yeah. Uh, I know you've got to jump off in a second, Trent. Like, you're, you're a former um, Delhi Capitals player now with the Mumbai Indians, head of the IPL. Like, a hell of a bunch of players in that side. Dukok, Sharma, Hardik Pandya, incredible quick bowlers like Malinga and Boomerah, which means competition for places will be tough. Um, with that in mind, like, you know, how important will it be to find a little edge? And if so, like, how much man-catting will you be doing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'll be doing any of that. But uh, everyone's come off, uh, you know, a long break in terms of not playing much cricket. So um, I know the, the guy's already there. Uh, I head off in a few days, but... Um, yeah, I'm just lucky to have another opportunity to play in that big tournament. Um, my favourite thing about it is, is not so much the game time or whatever, but the opportunity to, to be in the hut with all those different kind of um, personalities and players. And I've got Shane Bond there as a bowling coach who I've done a lot of work with. But Zahir Khan is, is a big aspiration of mine as well. So mm. just getting those opportunities to um, see how guys operate and stuff. And if I'm lucky enough to get a crack in the desert, then um, no, I'll look and take it with both hands. It's got to be weird, isn't it, going to the UAE in a, in a bubble? Like, it, is it is one of these ones now where you guys play so much cricket and you all know each other so well that you're all actually just really good mates? Or is there someone that you're actually going to avoid in the bubble? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't know if I'm avoiding anyone. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty unique. Uh, all eight teams are at each different hotel, which you're not going to see um, many people from, um, apart from the games. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be 
a different uh, kind of experience. But um, no, hopefully the cricket's good, and I'm sure there'll be a big following online and, and on TV and stuff. So mm. no, it's all the playful. Mm. Trent Bowl, thanks so much for joining us on the Great Cricket. I know you've got to jump off now, and uh, I suppose on top of a wonderful career you've already had so far, like congratulations on having so few skeletons uh, that we can <laughs> uncover. Um, <laughs> No, appreciate it, lads. Thanks so much for having a chat. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. All right, here goes. Uh, in 22 tests, this bloke took 80-odd wickets. I've just rounded that up, as you meant to do. Uh, grabbed himself five fifers at 10 far and an innings best of 7 for 37. In 231 first-class matches, he sorted himself 769 wickets, 31 fifers, and four tenfers. Uh, when you've got one of the most recognizable salads on the circuit, you're described by Crick Info as leaving your father in your slipstream. Uh, dream for all of us. Uh, and Wikipedia claims that your nickname is Sexual Chocolate. Uh, how can you not like our newest English guest on the show, Ryan Sidebottom? Uh, sexual Chocolate, welcome to the Great Cricket. Thank you, guys. Yeah, Sexual Chocolate, that has haunted me for many a years, courtesy of the lovely Darren Goff, who, um, if you don't know, Sexual Chocolate is a band off coming to America, um, and they've all got long, greasy, curly hair, and the band called Sexual Chocolate. So I had long, very, very long, greasy, curly hair back in the day in my pump. And Goffy called me sexual chocolate and it stuck ever since. And I can't shake that blooming nickname off ever. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Pez just opened there saying that, yeah, you left your father in your slipstream and rightfully so one of the highlights of any man's career and Mm. life. But your your dad took 596 first-class wickets and you took, Mm. what, 769. Mm. Um, I mean, like, how how much influence did your dad have over your career and your life, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, good question. You know what? I knew what dad was doing, you know, growing up, and I always wanted to sort of follow in his footsteps. if I'm being honest, I, I preferred football because um, he played for Man U and Huddersfield Town um, in his early days and when you could play cricket and football. So I wanted to desperately be a footballer, mm. but Dad basically just, being an honest Yorkshireman, said, look, son, you might have a chance of making it a cricket, but you're an absolute donkey at football. <laughs> so follow your second dream and not your first one. I suppose so that, so. I was yeah. like... Cheers, cheers, Father. Thank you for that vote of confidence. But, yeah, look, it's always nice to, you know, to emulate your dad. And, you know, I knew what he did. I've got all, had all his cuttings and, and newspaper clippings of when he'd done something very good. And, you know, to, to play for England and, and do what he's done. Um, obviously, it's, it's a nice, you know, it's a nice story. And, um, you know, to, I suppose to go past him, you know, to be honest, he, he totally forgot that I don't like whiskey. So when I went past his wicket tally, he bought me a bottle of whiskey and I was like, Dad, I don't like whiskey. You drink it. I'm sure he just bought it for himself anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, of course it's nice and the family history and, and to be part of something special and, and play for England and he has done the same. Um, obviously, fond memories. Like, how good were you at football? Because I think you had like a, a deal, or you had yeah, like an offer from Sheffield United, obviously now in the Prem. Mm. Um, you know, first of all, oh, have, have you messaged Chris Wilder? Like, I mean, how, how good no. were you at football? Oh, I was, 
you know, I had a, I had a half decent left foot, and I absolutely loved my football. Yeah. But I was never, I was never going to be good enough. You know, I had trials at Huddersfield Town, and mm. you know, I was on the YKS game at Sheffield United. But you know, when you when your father's sort of been around sport, and mm. you have those honest, blunt conversations, and I, I knew I probably was going to be, I had a chance of making it a cricket. Of course, football was probably, I shouldn't admit that being a cricketer, but was my number one love and I, I love all sports, but yeah. I think cricket, I had a chance of, of playing professional cricket, so I had to go down that path and, and football was never going to be my forte as it were, but I love, mm. you know, I love the game in general. Mm. I mean, I suppose... Who's your team, guys, anyway? Who's your English uh, team? Who do you follow? Yeah. Well, you basically have two choices in Australia, the Man United or Liverpool, and we are both of those supporters. Yeah. Not so, not together, I should oh, say. Okay. That's yeah. Both yeah. Them, but, um, yeah. It, uh-huh. it, it was my year this year as a yeah. Liverpool fan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was. How well did oh, they played amazing, didn't they? It was oh, so good to watch. It was so good. That's to our watch. other podcast. Uh, so, so um, <laughs> yeah. I suppose when your dad plays for Man United, uh, the standards can be pretty high. Like, like a lot of Aussies uh, who listen to the show, like they'll empathise with that, Ryan, because or sexual chocolate, I should say, because uh, <laughs> here, you know, especially down in Melbourne, like most people's first sport is footy, then yeah. cricket. Yeah, you know, they just keep fit with that. And yeah. there's a lot of like, even I think a lot of Australian cricketers, even Shane Warne, is just a failed football player. <laughs> the entire Victorian cricket team are just failed footy players. Like, you know, although you say you're a donkey with football, like you must have dominated pre-game warm-ups as oh, well. Yeah. Like, were, were, you, oh, were, yeah, you, we were you the top? First or? picked, yeah. First, first pick, yeah. Oh, I was, I was all right. I did okay. But you had, you know what? Honestly, the, the lads, it was ridiculous. It was like they got more up for a game of football yeah. um, the day before a, a match than you would in a game of cricket. It was just weird. You know, Graham Swan loved his football. Yeah. We had Dave Hussey. Yeah. Uh, Nottinghamshire he yeah. had um, two right feet he used to trip over the ball at the start and then over years gone by he got better and better but yeah the, the lads absolutely love the football they really do especially pre, pre-game pre is a bit of a warm-up mm. um, you know it gets a bit heated sometimes so the coach has to keep a bit of an eye on it, eye mm. on it and mm. how the guys get on mm. Now moving on to your second dream, uh, the actual cricket um, on the Great Cricketer Podcast. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I just interested in your in your career where like you, you sort of got your debut and then you had to wait a little while and, and sort of under um, under Duncan Fletcher it was seen that Duncan Fletcher wanted sort of raw pace. You know that, that's that's what he wanted. And you sort of got more of a more of a run under sort of Peter Moores. But I just found it fascinating of like. Do you think that in England's that raw pace really works? Whereas, like, I mean, probably, I mean, the England's best ever bowler is Jimmy Anderson, who's not raw pace; he's much more skilled. Which, you know, with all the respect, I'd put you in that category. Run more of a swing ball than sort of a, a raw pace of like a, you know, a wood or an archer or whatever. I mean, do, do you think that raw uh-huh. pace really is necessary in England, especially? Not, not necessarily. You look around the world; you've got a lot of skillful bowlers who are probably not high, you know up there in the 90s. Mm. You know, of, of course, Australia have, you know, a stock of very fast bowlers, but they also do something with the ball. They have the skill. Mm. And for me, you know, like you say, you've alluded to, Jimmy and Brody are probably not the quickest now, but it's the skill. Mm. You know, if you can make the ball swing and see him around, you're going to trouble any batsman in world cricket. And that is what they've done for many years. You know, you, there is always room for pace in, the, in your attack. And I think, you know, you, you guys have probably seen a lot of, of Jopra Archer, we love to, mm. you know, build people up and say, oh, he's the next best thing since sliced bread and he's our wonder kid. And mm. you've seen it, you know, test cricket isn't that easy, is it? You know, he's had he's had some good days, but he's had a lot of ups and downs because to bowl 90 miles an hour every day, day in, day out, he's very, very tough. 
And I think you look at, you probably would go for the likes of Broad and Anderson who have the experience. They're probably not as quick now, but they still have the skill and the nows and they can work batsmen out. And that, for me, is, is better than actually having an out-and-out quick bowler. And, and just on, on the topic of, uh, I, I suppose, things that you you know, really want to get behind when it comes to English quicks. Like I've just noted as well that, you know, like you want stump microphones turned off so players can be aggressive and get under the skin of opponents. So, you know, (laughs) would you consider that like maybe a little bit of a category uh, catcher for for getting an English fast bowler into the side if they can actually just do that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you need a a variety in your attack. You know, Australia have it. um, They all complement each other very well. You know, you've got the left arm of Stark and... Um, you know, you, you had Mitchell Johnson, you've got Nathan Lyon, um, you've got so many different types of bowlers. So England have had that as well. But yeah, I the reason why I said turn the stump mic down is because you want to see teams, you know, you want it to be aggressive, you want a little bit of argy-bargy. You know, when I first played, you, you had two overseas and they were generally brilliant Australian cricketers and they would, you know, you'd come into bat and they, they'd start abusing you straight away just to put you off your game and you know, see how you could cope mentally and physically. And I, some mics now, I think we have got a bit too carried away with, you know, the umpires, especially too officious. You know, you want players, you want to see that passion and, and players wanting to win, you know, not stepping over the mark, you know, going too far. But for me, I, I like a bit of nitty gritty. And I'm sure the fans do as well. The crowd want to see, you know, players being passionate and wanting to win. Mm. What would you say would be like the, the biggest series that you played in, in terms of the build-up, the importance of the series in terms of a public interest and a, or a media perspective? I mean, you, you had some huge series. You had the T20 World Cup, which obviously you were part of the winning side. You had uh, you know, Rob Moody posted a great video of you cleaning up Jacques Callas the other day with his in-swing in Yorker. You played against India. You know, what, what, what would have been like the, the sort of biggest series that you would have played in? Look, I've been, look, I've been very fortunate to, to sort of play in big games up in and around the world. I suppose look, the World Cup obviously is one. Mm. Um, you know, playing at Lords, you know, the the history, um, you know, going through the, walking down through the long room, um, big crowd. Mm. But for me, probably the biggest crowd, you know, was India away. You know, you couldn't hear yourself, you know, in Delhi and places like that. You couldn't hear yourself think this. Just the noise and the atmosphere was just, it was just immense. Mm. Um, but it's, all, you know, it's always nice to play in front of your home crowd. It's weird because Yorkshire fans, they tend to get on their home players' backs as well. They're, so, um, they're pretty subtle in coming forward and going backwards by mm. saying, oh, well, oh, if you have a bad game, you, you cop it from your home fans. So you have, to, you have to play pretty well when you're playing, you know, headingly. But I think for me, you know, it's just about playing in front of big crowds and, you know, proving a point and doing well under pressure, which is, you know, I suppose what all players like doing. Mm. I was just trawling through your Twitter uh, this evening, as I often like mm. to do, uh, sexual chocolate. Um, and uh, <laughs> a photo, you posted, <laughs> you posted a photo, um, I retweeted a photo of Daniel Radcliffe in 2007. It was his 18th birthday. It was the Lords against India. And he'd come into the dressing room as a photo with you, Pryor and Collingwood and Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter, of course. Of course. Um, I just uh-huh. need to know everything about that uh, engagement and what that was like. Yeah, so it, Harry Potter, obviously, you know, people worldwide, it's a, it was a huge series um, of films and books. And he is a massive, massive cricket fan. Him and Draco Malfoy, um, I think his name's Tom, Tom someone. Um, I can't remember his last name, you'll have to excuse me. Um, and the huge, huge, huge cricket fans. And on his 18th birthday, what he wanted to do was go to Lords and watch England play cricket at the home of cricket. 
and come in the dressing room and meet all the players. Mm. So we were just like, it was literally jaw-dropping moment. He came in the dressing room and he was like, oh, 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 Matt Pryor, oh, Kevin Peterson, oh, so nice. <laughs> and it was weird. It was like, honestly, he was, it was, we're just sitting there thinking, this is like a world-famous actor, mm. um, you know, world-renowned. And he's like, oh, my goodness, it's so nice to meet you all. And then, because it was his 18th birthday, he wanted to go out for a few drinks. So we had a couple of drinks with him after the game. And he's just, yeah, quite a surreal moment, really. You, yeah. you're, you're in the dressing room, you know, you, you're going out there, playing for your country, giving your best. And players like that, you know, people like that come in the dressing room. I mean, yeah. Jude Law came in the dressing room on the mm. same day. Oh. Um, and I want, to be honest, I wanted to get off with him, but I wasn't allowed near him. So. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask about that. Like, uh, dressing room is pretty, uh, mm. I, I guess, uh, private spaces. Uh, so it's, it's its own kind of environment and ecosystem. A lot of cricketers will tell you that. Like, I always wonder about these famous people coming into international change rooms. Like, like how much nudity is there? How much tubbing and showering is yeah. going on? Like, mm. can you just kind of paint that picture? Mm. Harry Potter comes in. Yep. Who's nude? You know, Jude Law comes yeah. in. Oh, who's not no, nude? No, I've got plenty of dressing rooms. I mean, the boys don't tend to tend to get nude in front. I mean, the, you know, it's more you're in awe and you have a laugh and a joke. But sure. I mean, there's, Sorry, I had there's so many different things. I mean, I'll drop Dave Pussy. I hope Dave Pussy's listened to who's a very good friend of mine uh, who I played with at Knox. He was overseas pro. And he, um, he used to terrorize Mick New, who was our coach. He used to take the mick out of him constantly. Um, and one on this specific day, he put in the free press that he had um, eight pedigree uh, bulldogs for sale and he needed a quick sale because he was going back to Australia. So he put McNeil's phone number and he must have had a thousand phone calls every day saying, Are these, have you got any bulldogs for sale? And in the end, you could hear him in his in his little cabin, porter cabin where he, near the dressing room, like swearing. He was like, no, I haven't got any effing bulldogs for sale. They've all, please leave me alone. And, he, and they just shout, he goes, Hussey, it's you again, isn't it, Hussey? It's you. Uh, he used to terror, he used to nick his towel and he used to come after walk through the dressing room, fully soaked up, totally naked. And I mean, they're, they're the type of things, you know, you have lots of fun and a bit of banter yeah. between the boys. And, yeah. you know, they're the stories you never never forget, you know, the team camaraderie. Yeah. You obviously, after your career, career Ryan, you, you moved into, well, you've stayed in the entertainment business, I suppose. You're on Dancing on the Ice, da- Dancing on Ice, rather, in the UK. I mean, how does, how does that come about? How does Ryan Sidebottom get on that show? It was, yeah, it's weird. Um, well, Coach Surrey, um, the, the following year, mm. um, the Surrey boys, and, and they happened to win the championship. Nothing to do with me, to be honest. <laughs> um, but it was nice to sort of be part of a coaching setup, having just retired. And then I got a phone call from my agent saying, oh, Dancing on Ice are are quite keen in having you on the show and um, the producers would like to meet you and see what type of person you are and, and get you on the ice and um, see how you are on the ice. So I met the producers. My my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, said, look, you need to make an impression, do something silly. So I turned up in a tutu. Um, I had a nice <laughs> ice baby t-shirt. I had sweatbands and leg- bright pink leggings. And I, you know, I, I tend to not take, you know, with my hair and a nickname like Sexual Chocolate, I tend not to take myself too seriously. Sure. And I think they, I think they just enjoyed my character. And then yeah. they had this American pro skater who literally threw me around on the ice for 20 minutes. He might as well have got off with me because <laughs> I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And and literally, I walked away. Two weeks later, they rang me and said, oh, we'd love to have you in the show. And then it dawned on me saying, I'm going to be on ice, you know, a six foot four guy. Yeah. In ice, 
get who ends up being six foot seven. I'm like, oh my goodness, I got a bit of a panic on them. I was like, what am I doing? And my mate thought it was hilarious. That's amazing. Uh, just one for like the extremely niche Melbourne audience here. Like, we just need to clear up that obviously we're indeed speaking with the former Test player Ryan Sidebottom, not the Carlton <laughs> Premier cricketer and Warwickshire cricketer, also called Ryan Sidebottom. Like, I know it's probably a boring question for you, believe but like, it. well, it must have been a huge thorn in your side. You know, like later in your career, you've played twenty odd Tests, left your father in your slipstream, and then yeah. along comes some Aussie Premier cricketer <laughs> whose name is literally Ryan Sidebottom, Pauline Pace. So now, now Warwickshire, like, uh, you know, how, how have you coped with that? Mm. He's, sho- he's shocking, mate, honestly. How <laughs> can there be a Ryan Sidebottom in Australia, the exactly. middle of, no, I was going to say the middle of nowhere, but you know what? When I, when I retired, when I retired, and then some of the Yorkshire members found out Ryan Sidebottom was playing for Warwickshire, honestly, I've got some right abuse saying, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you retire and then time for Warwickshire? It's shocking, it's shocking. I was like, he's not me, he's not me, honestly. It's someone else. Uh-huh. You ever met him before? Well, I've heard or? Ryan Sidebottom's brother's a good AFL footy player, isn't he? Steel, is it oh, Steel, Steel Sidebottom? Yeah, yeah. Sidebottom's everywhere now. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realise they were brothers, but anyway. Yeah, he's probably a really good yeah. fellow, Ryan Sidebottom, so sorry if you're listening. Come on the show as well, <laughs> by, all, by all means. Get yeah, yeah I know. I know. He was on last week. Oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so just, just a, yeah, uh, we'll call you Sexual Chocolate. Sexual Chocolate, uh, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for your Thank stories, you. mate. Uh, and uh, we'll Pleasure. catch you next time. You too. Take care. Thanks, guys. Pez, lovely to chat to a couple of left arms. We had lots of left arm bowlers, actually, since, since the return. International left last week. Yeah, of we, course. Had, we had Brennan Julian, we had Jack Leach. Mm. Uh, who else we had? Some, some other left hand. Anyway, whatever. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we're going to talk about Budgie Smuggler right now, who are celebrating mm. Father's Day. It's just around the corner, especially in the UK. Father's Day is around the corner in Australia. It's been in UK, uh, June 20, I believe. Well, I just, just off the top of my head. You said in the UK. Um, okay, but, but Father's Day in Australia, 6th September. And if you are a father looking for a gift and you want to tip off your partner, yeah. whoever that may be, the people close to you who will be celebrating your fatherhood, mm-hmm. Budgie Smuggler has an incredible range. There's custom smugglers. There's already designs preset. You just head on to budgiesmuggler.com. That's the Aussie URL for all those preset designs. There's plenty of them if you want to go. Celebrate your manhood and your fatherhood. That's right. Mm. Just looking after children. And we need to get better as fathers. It's always a constant it's a constant struggle. And I will and I will speak smugly about this. So you're looking as a at father me. You're talking two. at me when you say that. Yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah. Deep I, into your eyes. I have no role in the fatherhood capacity. Well, as has been said before, as it stands, nobody will survive you. <laughs> that has been said before. <laughs> that's been said before. That's right. Very graciously. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um yeah. Now, the Father's Day gift is an interesting one, isn't it? Because like, there's a bit of a it's a it's one where like you know you get your socks, you get it, you get a book. You know, it's a little bit it lacks a certain uh, you know credibility to it. There's lacks a bit of just like lack of effort being put in. How a it's, custom smuggler? What what more effort can go into a custom smuggler? I think that the socks and undies. What more? That gift, makes sense. That's all right. The, so, yeah. the the socks and undies gift as a father actually it, it makes more sense like when you approach that status because you're like look. I, you know, often your partner is doing a lot of work. You're doing a lot of work with the kids. You're like, listen, I don't want you to go on any extra effort. I don't want you to, like, you know, roll out the red carpet for me. You know what dad is doing that. So, you know, the thing you learn, or, like, yeah. I don't mean to say it sound condescending, but Stephen Bidoff said this, you know, when you become a father, right. like, your life is no longer your own, which right, is okay. a good thing. It's actually good for you. Ah, I like it. Well, I, I don't want I don't want like my wife to roll out the red carpet for me on Father's Day. You know what I mean? Like if you just, like, just a little acknowledgement right. would be nice. Is that because you have to, you feel like it's a, it's a you know, tit for tat? Yin, yin yang situation. It is. I don't, I'm not a fan of tit for tat. That's all right. You've touched a nerve there, actually. Don't do that. 
I don't want to be. I don't want to be treated like an absolute king. I mean, if you want to, fine. But like, uh, it's just that's why stock standard is good. But that's why Budget Smuggler comes in really nicely because it's not just just stock standard brand socks and undies. You actually get that kind of paraphernalia, but with a little bit of zest to it, a little Mm. bit of vibrancy, a little bit of how you're going. Mm. With the, with the design, you can, a little bit of how's your father. And that mm. might be something you put on a custom design. But yeah. I guess the point is a budget smuggler can provide for that range yeah. of giftage. Yep. Now, I'm thinking, for instance, if you just want pure, like a slogan across these smugglers' yeah. customs, you could just go, how's your father? Who's your daddy? Yeah. Daddy kisser. Yeah. We just had uh, Ryan Subbottom on sexual chocolate. That's right. You know, Trent Bolt, we just learned throwing hands in a pub. We didn't want to talk about exactly. it too much. My dad talks to me. <laughs> Wouldn't that be good for me, two-year-old? A you photo. I mean? Will a dad note. talk to me when I fail in cricket? Some sort of like a, an image of like a dad peering behind a sight screen or a tree. Brilliant. There you go. That's right, yeah. Mainly behind the tree. Mainly behind a tree. Hiding behind a tree because you don't want him to come, but he comes and watches you anyway. But mm. then when you fail, he leaves. Yeah. I knew a dad it? who actually walked home 16Ks when his son got out in a PG match. He was so furious <laughs> with his son's dismissal. Yeah. He walked <laughs> He walked home from Tremoyne to Epping. Now, what point do you – fucking hell. <laughs> my God. At what point do you get on the walk and be like, oh, that was a rash decision. I should have just got an Uber. I liked the passion, to be honest, unless he was there and he cared, you know. Must be nice. They enjoy a good relationship. Must be nice. I know, for a fact. Okay. And they, they might be using Budgie Smuggler. There's budgiesmuggler.com, budgiesmuggleruk.com if you want to get involved there too. Hashtag RCDC, Pezzy Lab. Now, these ones are coming from the UK. And uh, there's a bit going on here. Yeah. Now, I don't really... that, was a, that was one of the dot points I had under there. There's a bit going on here. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, Elliot Charles writes in. Um, this one's from last week. didn't get time for it. But he says, hi, guys. Me and my family all grew up and are still part of Guildford Cricket Club in Surrey. The club has an illustrious list of players who've gone on to play county and international cricket, including Ashley Giles, Ricky Clark, Jade Dernbach, and most recently, Ollie Pope and Phil Salt, just to mention a few. As the latter two have represented England and England Lions respectively during lockdown, I've thought considerably about a game which I play with them both as part of a Guildford Development uh, 11 in 2013 scorecard here attached whilst we were all still teenagers. Batting at one was Ollie Pope, who was five years away from becoming an England Test cricketer, opening with Nathan Tilly, Wisdom School's Cricketer of the Year in 2019, the most prestigious individual accolade a young cricketer can receive in England. Mm. Alex very Sweet, English idea, that is. Very it? English, mm. yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah. More I'm the Wisdom School's Cricketer of the Year. That's an absolute wank fest, that is. Alex Sweet came in at number three who was a Surrey Academy player at the time. I was batting at four. Someone who was sponsoring us. (laughs) (laughs) I was batting at four. Someone who's peaking club cricket came that summer with a run of four games in the club's second 11. Somehow ahead of Phil Salt at five, who'd go on to represent Adelaide Strikers, England Lions and Sussex. Sussex. Not only was I batting ahead of Phil Salt, who smashed 79 of 52, but my 39 runs also outscored Ollie Pope's 34, even if he scored them in an infinitely better strike rate. Looking at the scorecard during lockdown, I hadn't even realised Salty and I put on a 100-run partnership, Salty, even if I contributed 30-odd 28 to it. How should I weigh up the embarrassment of being the only player in that top five who's never gone on to play Surrey Premier League cricket? Uh, who's only who's only gone on to play Surrey, Surrey Premier League cricket, let alone... No, never gone on to play Surrey. Oh, sorry, never. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, never gone on to play Surrey Premier League cricket, let alone play county cricket or represent my country versus the pride of being able to tell the story of one time I outscored Ollie Pope and batted the head of Phil Salt. What other advice do you have around recounting games in which you played with people who've gone on to achieve great things in the sport without shining a light on the ignominy of your own cricket career? Love the pod and thanks for the lockdown entertainment. Best wishes, Elliot Charles. 
Now, Pez, I, my first note was that I'm completely shocked that this one didn't come in from Anonymous. Yeah, that's right. He's, mm. he's my cricket club. He's yeah. my name. Yeah. Elliot Charles. He has five players that I played with who were very yeah. good. Well, to the main question, like I think he's, he knows exactly how to balance it. He knows exactly how to balance it. He's I think just, he knows what he's doing. He's just done it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's well-written. It has all the hallmarks and flourishes of a well-raised, well-educated young man merely passing on some casual anecdotes. And obviously this is a classic of the genre, he goes. Mm-hmm. Like it's framing the question as a humble, honest reflection on the embarrassment of not achieving what others have done, mm-hmm. all the while subtly dog-whistling that, yes, I played with these people, yep. ergo mm-hmm. I must have been good. Mm-hmm. I mean I outscored Ollie Pope at one point. I clearly can play the code. Yep. Every time Ollie Pope scores runs, this guy's stock goes up and he's just managed to, I guess, amplify that with his name, mm-hmm. with his club, to many, many thousands of people who may or may not be listening at this point. Mm. So well done, Elliot. Um, to the other question about like how do you balance you know, reflections on your own career if others have done well who you've gone through with. Really, like, you know, this is probably not that interesting, but, like, in our – like, we grew up in a pr- very strong era of New South Wales junior cricket. Pretty strong. <laughs> but, um, like, yeah. I think we just – like, my particular – we're a different age group. My age – we just had a really bad age group. Like, the only person that went through from my age group to play international cricket was Steve O'Keefe. Okay. Nobody else does. We had, like, Michael Clark was a year or two ahead mm-hmm. and – Warner was a year or two behind, mm-hmm. and uh, Kawaja was a year below. I mean, it was yeah. your year, yeah. And and Smith was a couple of years before that. My but year like, was pretty good. You had a good year, so you you got things yeah. you can blame. Phil Hughes, Kawaja, yeah. Warner, yeah. Uh, some other some other people who other were good. guys who yeah. can play some other stuff. Hazelwood was that your year? No, no a couple of years like. Um, so. I didn't actually have that experience of like growing up against somebody and just going, "Oh, I didn't make it," but this person did. Apart from O'Keefe, who like. Was, he was he was up there like when we were coming through, but I don't think he was like top top dog. Mm. But yeah, he just, he went through. That was it. So I don't really mm. have that experience. Mm. So I wonder. I wonder if it's an interesting one. Like playing, if playing with good players is the same as playing against good yeah. players, because yeah. playing with good players, like so, for instance, like the, the the English system is an interesting one, which I still can't quite figure out. Like how you get, how, like what the ascension is to county and Test cricket. I don't yeah. really because it's it's not a structural thing. Like mm. every single player, like. For instance, last night during the rain delay, Rob Key and Nasser Hussain were doing a piece on Zach Crawley and he basically had footage of him from the age of like 10 when he's like doing nets and he's like, this guy's just a prodigy. And that's yeah. all these players are. They're all yeah. like they're all like under 13 Kent graduates and they mm. just like no one plays like cricket and then they get good at like 20 and they score some runs in first grade, then they get picked into the state. It mm. doesn't work like that. It's they're into just, bubbles straight away, which is why the bias studio bubble doesn't bother them at the moment. <laughs> it's all just streamlined stuff. Mm. Anyway, watch this though. So I played against Guildford when I played in Surrey. Therefore, am I now playing against Ollie Pope? Thoughts? <laughs> no. Watch this though. <laughs> watch what I'm about to do. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're, it's, you know, the no, degree, my, degrees of separation yeah, from no, players. Yeah, now my point being, like, if, so when you're playing in the same team as them, so the Guildford 11, now this is the same, you just grew up in the same jurisdiction, but when, you play, when you're competing against these players, like he's not bowling to Ollie Pope and then get him out. He's just, play, he's just in a partnership with Phil Salt, you know, like he's just, he's outscoring Ollie Pope in the same team, so he's not mm. playing against other international players. So what's better? I think playing against good players is better than playing with them. Yeah, if you're able to do something against a, against a player who's yeah. done something at the yeah. higher level, you can go, oh, okay, well, like, therefore I live in the same orbit as them. Yeah. I guess. That's but right. Anyway, um, thanks, Elliot. Cheers. You got you got you you dealt with it very well. You knew exactly what you were doing, and congratulations. I think that's exactly how you balance Guildford's it. Guildford's a lovely place, by the way. They play they play county cricket there. Okay. They play the, during the Guildford Festival, anyway. Some stuff going on there. Play in England, did you? Uh, George Hellyer. <laughs> 
writes in, Good afternoon slash good morning slash afternoon slash evening. This week I had my first match back after lockdown for Darjeeling Cricket Club and Expat Club in Dubai. We got the text that we were playing a side close to Oman, about an hour's journey away from Dubai. I left the house at 4.45am for a 5.45am meet. We were starting at a prompt 6am and had been put into bat. By 6.04am I had been caught at long off playing a pull shot. <laughs> Yes, it's as bad as it sounds. Before 6.30am, there was an attempted man-cad, which threw the game into a slightly hostile affair. Spirit of cricket, dot, 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 question mark. In a friendly, dot, 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 question mark. Before the batsman probably even had a chance to have breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Slightly higher every time. (laughs) Not my kind of bloke. Dad obviously didn't come to watch or even asked how I went. Even when I WhatsApped him, him, no reply, two blue ticks. My, My question is, out of the 11 players, one of the lad's girlfriends came to watch. From my information on the logistics and your understanding of what you can probably guess the standard was like, what are your thoughts on this? Is it better, worse, or as concerning as a girlfriend pulling a crystal box from the glove compartment to help cure a hangover? Higgins? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Warm regards. Keep up the good work. What's Higgins? What's a, uh, so what's I, a crystal box? I, I actually don't know what that is. Uh, what's well, a long story? So, I played with George in England ah, a number okay. of years ago. Oh, so I, know, a- I know George. Oh, right. I know George. I thought it was like a, a slang that I've just missed out on. No, no, no. There's a, it's a long oh, – You don't want to go into it. Uh, it's just about I, – I was seeing a bird who was into kinesiology, but it was before a time that I even knew what kinesiology was. Can you can just for the listeners and okay. may or may not be me? What's kinesiology? Kinesiology is like the it's like is it a belief system or it's a, it's an understanding that like um, certain crystals have healing powers. Oh, like nice, yeah, crystal much, like yeah, en- like energy, it. energy yeah. stuff. You're saying a bird who was into the crystals. It was into the crystals, nice, um, and not crystal meth. And um, yeah, so I so I. She came, she picked me up one day and I had a hangover and then she was like, hey, I said, I've got a hangover. She said, I've got the perfect thing for you. And then she pulls out in the, like the middle compartment of the car, she pulls out um, this like crystal, but I didn't know. I was like in my early twenties at this stage and I didn't know what it was. What are you thinking? When when she pulls out the crystal, just at the time, you're like, okay, what's. I was like, the fuck's this shit? Yeah. (laughs) You're thinking, oh, this must have some like, there must be something inside this. Yeah. So she pulled it out in what I would describe as what a witch would hold her potions in like a velvety sheath. She pulled it out and then she says, holds this and it's just a rock. And I'm like. Is that the end? Okay. So I I held it in my hand and then we're just driving along and then for about 15 minutes and then she said, oh, how do you feel? Thinking that this crystal had healed me. And I said, "Mm, yeah, still just, still just the same. And then she looked at, she looked at my hand and she said, you're holding it in the wrong hand. Mm -hmm. The left hand receives energy. The right hand releases energy. Mm -hmm. And I was holding it in my right hand. So I wasn't, that's why I wasn't doing the trick. And I thought, what the fuck is this shit? That's what I thought. Um, what happened to that relationship? Oh, we're still together. Yeah. Yeah. Still together. And Father's Day is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's the question here? So George is uh, playing a game in Dubai. There's a heap. Now, them playing at six in the morning yeah. is the thing I'd never thought about because it would be because it's so hot there at the moment. Yeah. And, was, and some of us are unbearable. I can't decide if I like it at 6 a.m. Like, is it the it best or be worst thing of all time? Like, I think, it's, I think, so, it I think it's so hot in the Middle East that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. your days are fucked anyway. Like, you can't be outside at midday. Is it sort of handy kicking off at 6 a.m. and getting it done? I'll tell you what, the Did circuit you? light before would be something else, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd go through, yeah. That's a good point. Can you yeah. circuit? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, George is, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't say. <laughs> Let's not say. Yeah. We're out of Facebook done by Apparently, the CCP. I, I, I think if you, yeah, I think if you if you want to find alcohol, you can find it in, in Dubai. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on the man cads, 
no problem with man catting it by 6.30 a.m. i got no problem with that. Wouldn't do it myself, personally, mm. but a bit of spice in the game for mm. hostility. Yeah. We need You always need to create something in cricket. Yeah. I like the term, what did he say? Um, <laughs> it threw the game into a slightly hostile affair. Slightly hostile. <laughs> slightly hostile. Yeah. A bit of tension there. I like it. Yeah. What's, what's the other side of that girlfriend coming to the game or something? Oh, I think he just wanted to tell the story about you and Crystal's. Steve Caldicott writes in, says, Afternoon, fellas. Ten years ago, I retired from cricket. Congratulations, Steve. I was 30 years old, had spent 15 years chasing leather around it with a bunch of morons for teammates. I'd spent too many Tuesday evenings at selection meetings, too much time chasing said morons to turn up, and too much money drinking with people I don't like. He's clear. He's very clear. The truth is, I wasn't much good anyway. Not horrendous behind the stumps, but a bang average batsman. Yes, I averaged over 41 season. Yes, I feel dirty for dropping that in. But it was only as I'd go in an eight and get 20 not out against 14-year-olds in the thirds, in the threes. And a terrible bowler of offies that didn't spin. I bowed out of the game on my terms and have barely spoken to any of my old teammates since. So far, so good. I hated it in the end. I'd not missed it at all until I joined a running club. Yes, abuse me as you see fit. The club runs finish on a Wednesday at the pavilion we share with the local cricket club. Wednesdays is nets for said cricket team. So for the last three months or so, after the Wednesdays I'd run, after the Wednesday run, I'd sit in the evening sun with a beer watching the fellows in the nets. It worked something deep in me that was rather concerning. Here's the twist, Pez. A desire to just have a quick net, maybe turn the arm over again, or at least feel bat on ball. At home, I began following the county championship again, watching Roblinder 2 vids, Stewart and Atherton versus Ambrose and Walsh 1998, as you asked, and religiously listening to TMS. Then it happened. Last week, I was chatting to one of the cricketers after a pacey run with the club. I was feeling good. I mentioned I used to play. Of course I did. He, suge- he suggested I turn my arm over. I couldn't resist. I bowled six or eight balls of rank off spin in the fading light to whichever fool had ended up last in the net, all whilst wearing my running kit. Stubbies, singlet, bright pink shoes, oh, village. I didn't get spanked. I didn't embarrass myself. And I'm certain the batsman would have been caught behind off at least one delivery. The fella I was talking to has said the threes and fours are always short. He's got my number and will drop me a message. I know it'll, it'll be all I hated. I know I'll be crap. I know I'll resent seeing my friends in the bar whilst I retrieve another ball from the Hawthorne bush at Cow Corner. But still. So dear TJC, my question. Do I tell my wife that our lazy Saturdays of boozy brunches are in danger as, for reasons I can't fully explain, I have an increasing desire to spend them with a bunch of kids and has-beens in the fours doing something I ultimately know I'll hate? Or do I quit the running club, delete the YouTube app from my phone and stop listening to TMS in the hope that cold turkey will fix the issue? As an aside, if you can also answer why the hell a 40-year-old English, Englishman with a wife and a reasonably responsible job is writing to, Aussie, to two Aussie fellas from a podcast for advice that would also be helpful. <laughs> Cheers both, Steve. <laughs> oh, well, very good, Steve. Very, very good. I can't answer like, – I personally can't answer any of that for you specifically. I can give you a few ideas, a few thoughts, you know, a bit of guidance, I suppose. I mean, man, your life seems really good right now. I mean, that image That of image like, of the ends, yeah. Man, I'm in a running club now. Yeah. I have a beer at the pavilion – Boozy Saturdays. Yeah, in the the dappled summer light Mm. of the UK, Mm -mm -mm. watching mates who used to, you know, for whom you used to bowl in the nets, but now he's having a beer watching them. And you think, nah, I'm going to go round again? I'm going to go round again? Why? You have boozy Saturday lunches with your wife. What the fuck is wrong with Steve? How long, how much more cricket do you need to play and why are you doing it? Why must you hurt? Where does it end, Steve? Just 
let's do a bit of hypothesizing okay. and, and dreaming. Let's let's do a bit of vision. You play again. As you say, you know you're going to hate it. All the bad things will happen. All the bad feelings will come back. For what? Mm. Why are you doing like, what I say to you, Steve, is if you're going to go back and play again, you're going to throw away a great life that you found for yourself. You transcended cricket mm. and you found balance in your life, wife, fitness, health, enjoyment, mm. uh, but you're going to throw it away for cricket. Well, I put it to you that you need to play cricket for the rest of your life. Mm. If there's nothing you're going back for, like no goal you want to achieve, nothing that will actually end it, you know, mm. put a nice and neat little bow around it mm. to end it, then you're playing forever. You're playing till they put you in a grave. They put you in a box. And if that's what you want to do, fine, go and play again because you have some kind of strange masochistic streak to you. You're prepared to, you know, endanger your relationship with your wife, your fitness, your mental health. That's fine. Play forever. Just do it till they put you in a box 20 feet deep. But if you're just going to play again to only hate it and then go back to running or whatever, that's insanity. So either keep running or start playing until they put you in a box. See you next week.